1 Peter, starting in chapter 2, we're continuing our, our, uh, our sermon series through 1 Peter. And I want to encourage you with this, where we just literally talked about this idea of a living hope. This whole point of 1 Peter is that the, the, the believers, the early believers, had a living hope. And so the main idea we talked about last week uh, of 1 Peter is this idea of new birth, this new birth that gives us a living hope. If you looked at verse Three, it says in his great mercy, this is in the mercy of Jesus Christ, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So just as baptism, just as we talk about rattle and the dry bones rattle and that we get to experience a new life in Christ, we have a new birth in Christ. And as a result of that, there is living hope. And so um, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what's going on in your life. But what I can tell you is this, that in the midst of what has happened, it seems like over the last, I'm, I'm just going to say 2,000 years. We keep saying recent history, but the reality is the last 2,000 years since Jesus' birth and then life, death, and resurrection, we have continued to see the world go chaos or go chaotically. Um, and so today, or as we go through this First Peter series, I want you to be encouraged I want you to know that you can walk through life with living hope. And so we're going to follow along. If you would read with me, I'm going to start actually in verse 23 of chapter 1. And we're going to read real quick. And then I want to spend some time just in prayer. Listen to what he says in verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now, here's where we're going to spend a lot of time. Now, now as a result of that word, as, of it, as a result of it being living and enduring, as a result of your brotherly love, as a result of that word that has been preached to you, here's what we are called to do as believers. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see... I lay a stone in Zion and a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. It says that they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, this is us, believers, if you have your put faith and trust in Christ, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God, and once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's what I want to do. I want to start with some prayer, and then let's go ahead and go. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed is just for a brief moment, and oftentimes this is absent in church, it's absent in our life, is to sit and focus in silence and just ask God to speak to you. That the Spirit would move and they would convict where he needs to convict. 
And he would call you out where he needs to call you. He would encourage where he needs to encourage you. Father, we pause in a chaotic and busy world, oftentimes silence seems so awkward. But Lord, your still small voice calls, corrects, trains, rebukes, encourages, And Lord, somebody here today, everyone here today needs that. God, would you correct us where we need correcting in our life so that we could be more effective for you, so it could be a better witness for you, so that, Lord, we can be holy just as we looked at last week, that we would be set apart and different, that we wouldn't act like the world, but we would act like believers, followers of Jesus. Lord, maybe there's some rebuking in my life or in somebody's life here that you just need to put us in check because we've allowed the world to infiltrate our mind, our thoughts, or our actions. And Lord, most of all today, maybe there's somebody here who's never acknowledged Jesus as their Savior. God, would you not only convict would you encourage them to walk forward with obedience and to make that decision public today? God, I just echo the words that Chris said, and I think it's important for us to remember that we fight from a place of victory, and oftentimes we feel defeated when the reality is that the defeat is at the hands of the enemy, or is, is the enemy. The enemy has been defeated And that we stand victorious, not because of anything we've done, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross and his resurrection that offers us life. We fight from a place of victory because we fight behind the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we stand because he helps us stand. So Lord, we pray today that you speak to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what I want to do. I don't want you to look at a number of things. You may or may not know the Old Testament. Peter was a Jewish person. He grew up under the law. He was one of the early disciples. He had grown with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. If you know anything about the, uh, the story of Peter, Peter is the very one who walked with Jesus for three years. Let me, let me clarify, because a lot of people want to dog on Peter, but the reality is I think most of us would put ourselves in that situation. Peter walks with Jesus for three years, has a point in time right before Jesus is crucified to take a stand to say, yes, I walked with him daily. And what's he do? Heck no, I don't know that guy. To the point of calling curses out. Like, I mean, this isn't just a somebody who just wrote this book. Peter is one who experienced the grace and the love of Jesus over a three-year period, then falls to the lowest, darkest point in his life, and then comes back roaring and ready because he stood victorious, not because of anything that he did, but because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And here's the beauty of what Peter does all throughout this book of, of, of Peter as he writes this letter. Keep in mind, he's writing this letter to people who have been scattered across 
various ways or various areas, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which is northern Turkey of these days. And as you keep in mind, I want to unpack a couple of things. Peter takes memorable Old Testament images of the family of Israel, and he connects them to new believers, And not just any new believers, he connects them to Gentile Christians. Here's what's crazy about what Peter does. Peter's a Jewish person who is taking the gospel to Gentiles, but he unpacks the reality of the Old Testament and says, listen, here's the good news. Just like what happened with Israel, where they walked in exile, you can walk into freedom or walked out of exile into freedom, into the promised land. You can walk out of exile, out of bondage of slavery to sin and into the freedom or the promised land that he offers. And so all through chapter one into chapter two, he unpacks these things. And he says things like this. Excuse me, sorry, choking on my own words. Uh, It says that they are to gird up their loins. We looked at it last week. We said to prepare your minds for actions. It's an echo of Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. Just as the people of Israel were to gird up their loins or to prepare for action to enter the promised land. He says, likewise, also that they are a holy people of God journeying through the wilderness, just like the Israelites were the holy people of God journeying through the wilderness, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. They are the people of the new Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, verse 15, and they have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, versus the blood that was sprinkled or or spread across the doorposts and across the door frames of the houses. They are the people of the new covenant, Isaiah chapter 40, Jeremiah chapter 31, who have God's word deep inside of them. They are the new temple. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, Psalm 118, verse 22, and that temple is built on Jesus himself. And listen, they are a new kingdom of priests, Exodus chapter 19, verses four through six, serving God as his representative to the nations, just as what we're gonna unpack here, we are a new kingdom of priests, serving God and taking God to the nations, taking the truth of Jesus. See, the Bible is in different, or in many different places, magnifies the effects of this new birth. And it helps us realize the power and impact of the gospel on our lives. So first Peter, when Peter's dealing with these things, he's unpacking the truth. And the truth is, it affects every area of our life. This living hope that Peter's talking about should affect every area of our life. It affects what I believe. It affects how I believe. It affects how I think. It affects what I do. It affects where I will go. It affects what I will say. And if I act contrary to its truths, then it's gonna affect how I should respond or how I should repent in the circumstances or situations that I run into. So when my life steps out of line that is contrary to truth, then First Peter would say, hey, listen, in order to understand the living hope, you need to get your life in line. And so I wanna do, I'm gonna unpack a little bit of this today, but I want you to see this. If you remember anything else, remember this, that Jesus transforms us through his word into people who will serve him with our lives. Jesus literally transforms us through his word into people who will serve him with our lives every day, all the time, in great and many ways, in sacrificial ways. And so as Christians, listen, we have a new family identity, 
right? We're part of the body of Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been brought into the family of God. We've been blood-bought. We've been redeemed. We've been purchased by Jesus Christ. And now we have a new identity, a new family, a new body that we are a part of. And so hear me out when I say this. First Peter has a lot to unpack and to understand and to communicate to, listen, it wasn't just to the Jewish believers, it was to Gentile believers as well. And so, when I say that Jesus transforms us through this word, I wanna look at some things today within this text and begin to unpack this. Number one is this. Our new life comes from the living and enduring word of God. Listen to what he says in verse 23. For you have been born again, what's he say? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Here's what we, 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 we have to unpack. Here's what we assume or understand based upon that, that when we are born, here's the way it kind of works, when you and I are born physically here on earth, we are born perishable, right? Like, a, a, a man and a woman came together, the seed of the offspring came together, it forms the egg and the, and the sperm, and obviously we have a baby, right? But that is a perishable seed. All of us are gonna die. But as a result in Jesus Christ, then we are a part of a new seed, an imperishable seed that we are born again, not from something that was existing at a time, but born again as a result of the imperishable seed of Jesus Christ. But then it says this, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, I wanna clarify a couple of things. There are a lot of people, as, as history has gone on, that over and over and over again say, well, how can you take the truth of God's word and say you're gonna build your life upon it? It's invalid, they'll say that. It's dated, they say that. It's incorrect or it's got flaws, they'll say that, right? And every circumstances, situation I've ever seen or have ever had an argument with a person when it comes to the reality, the validity, the inerrancy, the infallibility of God's word, somebody always wants to go and say, see, it's the numbers. It's the numbers issue. The numbers are off. They're flawed. But what I want to begin to unpack and what you have to understand is the infallibility, the living and enduring word of God that speaks truth to our lives. And here's what's crazy. I've never seen an individual who follows God's word, whether it's through finances or marriage, whether it's through the relationships with coworkers, whether it's how you work, how you serve, the decisions you make, how you speak. I have never seen a person who lives based upon the truth of God's word walk away and say, it just doesn't work. I have seen people who will take scripture out of context, who will begin to say, well, I don't really need to apply that part. I really love the part where Jesus died on the cross, but him asking me to give up things and to get rid of things and to not focus on these things, I'm not really going to do that part. When it comes to marriage, I think the Bible's very clear. I think some of the most successful, enduring, loving, caring gracious marriages should be built upon God's word, God's word. And so if I want to have success in my life, then I build my life upon the word of God. Listen to what he says. It says the living and enduring word of God. And then it says at the end of verse 25, and this is the word that was preached to you, a living word. 
All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it has this living aspect to it that no matter how long or how far away from Jesus in the time it was written is given, that it is a living word. In other words, it's active. It's going on. It goes out. It has a life of its own. And please hear me out that the living word, I've, I've had people say, like, there's an understanding that the word is infallible and inerrant. But listen, we do not, when I clarify, let me clarify this, before you throw me on the throne of a heretic, all right? We don't worship the Bible. We worship the Jesus of the Bible. But the Bible is God's word in which he communicates the truth and the validity and the accuracy and his love and his grace, but at the same time his discipline. And so I build my life upon God's word. Why? Because it's living, it's active. As a matter of fact, it says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts. Listen to this. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Like you could hide your thoughts and attitudes from me. I'm not very good at hiding my attitudes. I'll be honest with you. Like, like there is no denying when I'm mad, Right? Like, when I'm mad, you're going to know it. Like, last night I was mad. I stood in line at McDonald's at Cameron, Missouri for 32 minutes and never got my food. Just asked for my money back and left. And I, listen, I know, I've, I've, I worked fast food for years, right? Okay, so please hear me on. I'm not trying to just dog them, but I was so mad last night. And I called Sarah and I, I, I was mad. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm not good at hiding my attitudes, right? But listen to what he says. It judges it, the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 55. It's enduring. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That's what the Lord's saying about it. Isaiah 55 verse 11. So I build my life. I live out my life upon the living and enduring word of God. Our new life comes from it. And I build my life upon it. If I want to succeed in anything in this life, then I begin to do it based upon what God's word says. Number two, if I want to be a person who is used by God, if Jesus transforms me through his word into a people who will serve him with my life, if he transforms me, then how does that take place? I have to live out, we must live out our new life in Christ. Listen to what he says in verse, chapter two, verse one. Therefore, as a result of being born of the living word, as a result of your brotherly love, which will even, you could jump back even earlier, one verse earlier, there is an expectation that when I'm a believer, as a result of my brotherly love, in other words, the love I have amongst one another who are believers within the body of Christ, and please hear me out when I say this, within the body of Christ, that doesn't mean just in my church. It means within the body of Christ, you know what kills me about churches nowadays? Is like this competition mentality, right? Like, well, they did that. We got to do one better. Really? Or, well, they're growing, so they must not be doing something right. And they're not, so they must be doing something wrong. When the truth of the matter is that we're all in this together. I don't know how it all of a sudden became this division amongst it, but there should be a unity that takes place. Why? Because we have to live out what our new life in Christ means. And listen to what he says. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. Now, I want you to keep this in mind. 
It's this idea of what's involved in loving one another deeply that I get rid of or take off. I mean, here, here's the picture, and please, you're gonna thank me for this. The picture of when he says getting rid of this is the idea of taking it off. It would be like stripping down to nothing and putting on brand new stuff. It'd be like completely going before. And when you are before Jesus, before a relationship with Christ, you have all these dirty, nasty rags and clothes that are going on. But when you're in Christ, you are stripped down. You are a completely new creation and you put on the new clothes made in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he says, as a result of that, get rid of or take off the old nature and put on the light of God. That's what he's talking about. And so listen, I get rid of the attitudes, the thoughts, and the habits that are harmful to others. There is, there should be, there always will be and must be a moral difference between believers and unbelievers, always. And let me clarify this very clearly. I don't care where you stand politically. My question is always this. Where you vote, how you vote, the stances you take, and your opinions don't matter unless they're built upon God's word. And that's not a smack against Republicans or Democrats, that's a smack against everybody. So please don't walk out of here going, see, Brian said he supports this, or Brian says he supports that. That's not what I said at all. If you cannot line up your political persuasions based upon God's word, then you're doing a false gospel. You are standing upon false things. And listen to what he says. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. I want you to think about this, right? As you unpack, as you get into this, what is malice? Like if I, as a believer, am supposed to rid myself of all malice, it's this idea of getting rid of all evil or wickedness. It literally carries the idea of desire to harm others that's hidden behind, listen, that's hidden behind apparent good actions, Like in other words, if I did something out of malice, I might do something that looks good, but the reality is I'm trying to undercut somebody else. The Bible says that shouldn't be anything that goes on amongst a body of believers. There is no room for malice in the life of a believer. Why? Because brotherly love is primary. And brotherly love is built upon the fact that you and I were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ through the living and enduring word of God. If I have a false sense or a false understanding of the word of God, I will never build my life upon everything else. I will not look at the truth of God's word and go, well, I gotta get rid of malice. Why? Because the living word obviously isn't living and enduring in your life. When I begin to look at things and say, well, that's good for that person, and I believe scripture, but I'm not gonna let my life go that direction, then you're beginning to say that God's word isn't living, God's word isn't enduring, and therefore I can act with malice toward whoever I want. And there's no room for that in the body of Christ. So therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, is what he says. Then he says, get rid of all deceit, right? So he says, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit. What is deceit? It's just attempting to mislead somebody through telling lies, right? If I'm deceitful, I'm going to mislead you. Listen, there's a lot of deceit going on in our world today. I don't care where you're at. There is deceit. All all you gotta do is pull up Facebook, right? You can find, all you gotta do is pull up the internet. That's the reality. I can find anything that, that supports anything I believe, period, 
Did I tell you I was a French model once? Bonjour. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a grasp at straw. So anyways, listen to what else he says, though. Get rid of all malice. Get rid of all deceit. Get rid of all hypocrisy. In other words, what's this hypocrisy idea? It's a masking. It's a, it's a covering of an inward evil. Listen, with outward righteousness. Like, do we try and cover up the evil that's in our, inside our lives with outwardly righteous things? You know, I've heard over and over and over again, and please hear me out when I say this. I've heard over and over, Christians are the biggest hypocrites in the world. Well, guess what? That is true. But do you know everybody's a hypocrite? Because we're all sinners. We all have flaws. We all have difficulties. We all have struggles. But, listen to me, freedom in Christ is not a freedom to do whatever the heck I want. Just because you've been blood-bought and redeemed does not mean that gives you a choice to go out and do whatever you want and live however you want to live. That's hypocrisy. And the very calling that Peter is saying is get rid of hypocrisy. Stop trying to cover over what's going on in your heart by doing outwardly good things. You should be inwardly clean. You are holy. You are supposed to be righteous. Matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, he goes out and he says, look, don't be like the Pharisees who are like whitewashed sepulchers who inward are dirty, but outward they look clean. So I get rid of hypocrisy. Then I get rid of envy. Can I, can I say something as a pastor? Do you want to know one of the things that, that honestly, there, there's a couple on these last two. Envy and slander among the body of Christ, I think is some of the most degrading and dangerous things that go on within the body of believers. Do you want to know why? Here's the envy side of it. People will be like, well, I don't know what you're talking about envy. I don't really envy what that happens. But do you know how many times that I have had people when somebody is successful or somebody has a breakthrough and some, God does something amazing in somebody's life and I have people who come to me who are jealous over it? Like this would be something that would be evident in the lives of these believers because some were facing death while others might have gotten an easier road. And Peter literally says there should be no envy in you and this idea of envy, are you thankful for the good that comes to others or do you long for what others have? There should be no envy. And then the last thing, slander. Golly, I couldn't tell you how many times slander has destroyed a church. One person can be a poison when their heart is a wreck. You know, there's a statement, hurt people hurt people. And we always expect that. But listen, when slander comes up, when the idea of going behind somebody's back and beginning to spread false things or speech that's intended to hurt another's status or reputation, oh my gosh. And please hear me out. That can go towards a pastor, but I've seen it go towards people just as much. Servants within the church who have given a lot to serve and just get attacked and lamb blasted by people. And listen to what he says get rid of all of these things. Peter unpacks this idea that we have to not let those things be evident in our lives. Why? Because all of these sins, listen, aim at harming others, whereas the love, the brotherly love that we talked about in chapter one, verse 22, should look to the benefit and the encouragement and seeking the best for others within the body of Christ. So please hear me out when I say this. It's not something that I just unpack lightly, but we have to know what goes on within scripture is speaking truth to my life that I have to put 
God's word as authority over my life so that my heart can be changed, not by what I say, but by what Jesus wants to do in you and through you, what the spirit may be calling and convicting you of. So we must live our lives out of our new life in Christ. That I let Jesus flow out of me, that I let the words and the actions of Jesus flow out of me and, and speak from me and, and, and go from there. And listen, he, he then begins to unpack even more what it means to be a person who is living or loving one another deeply from the heart as, as, as 1 Peter 1.22 says. Listen to what he says in verse two. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Like I can only think and respond based upon what my kids did. But when my kids were new, when they were newborn, there was no doubt knowing when they needed milk, right? Anybody been there? Like they scream, they whine, they cry, they're throwing a fit. And sometimes, I mean, even the milk didn't work because maybe they had gas or whatever else it was that needed a burp. Maybe there was some other things. But listen to what he says. Like a newborn baby, crave the pure spiritual milk. Remember the living and enduring word of God. Crave that. Crave it. Like I, th- I think of like, like cra- what, think of craving. What do you crave? Like in your mind as you're thinking about what is it that you may crave? You know, and for me, when I say I crave something, like I'm gonna do everything I can to get that, right? Like if I'm craving, like some of you are probably gonna be like, you're an idiot. When we go out to Indiana and Thanksgiving, what do I crave? White Castle, oh my gosh, right? Like I grew up in Wyoming, never heard of White Castle. I get, to, I get to Bolivar, Missouri going to school, and this is back when they had a White Castle up here in Kansas City, and I had buddies who would like, I'm not joking, twice this happened in one semester when I was living in the dorm, show up at like 10 o'clock on whatever night, I remember school nights, and go, dude, we're driving to Kansas City from White, for some White Castle, you wanna go? And I was like, no, you guys are crazy. I got class at eight o'clock in the morning. And then I got White Castle. And now I understand to a certain extent why the craving for White Castle at 10 o'clock on a, on a school night in college, guys were driving all the way to Kansas City, which there's not one here now. So like if I'm in St. Louis or when we go out to Indiana to visit her brother and her mom, oh my gosh. Like my first thing is White Castle. My kids are like, yeah, that's gross. That place is disgusting. The greasy burgers. I'm like, it's awesome. I crave it. And sometimes I'll try and go twice. That's craving. Like, like in three days, I'm like, can we go to White Castle again? And Sarah's like, serious? We just had it a couple days ago. I know. But it's going to be like another year before I get it again. Right? But listen to what he says. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. And here is the beautiful picture that's taking place. Do I crave do I hunger for? Do I long for? Do I live for? Do I pursue after? Do I, do I run to pursuing and digging in and craving the pure spiritual milk that comes from the living and enduring word of God? Or do I run into the very things that he just said I shouldn't be filling my life with? And here's what's beautiful about this. He says, Like newborn babies craves pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. 
Now listen, Peter's writing this to a bunch of believers, some who have probably been believers for upwards of 30 years now, and he's basically saying, you guys are still immature, you're not getting it. And so this is for everybody within the church. He says, grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like, that's where White Castle, in my opinion, became completely different and became a craving, right? Once I tasted it, it was like, ooh, this is like unlike anything I've ever had before. And some of you, I'm sure, you're like, this guy's an idiot. White Castle's gross. Anybody there? Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) When I tell people I crave White Castle, people are like, that's disgusting. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, some of you who like Patrick Mahomes, when I heard Whataburger was coming to Kansas City, I'm like, oh, that's disgusting. Had it in Texas. All my friends from Texas, Whataburger's like White Castle to me, I would venture to say. Like, I got pastors who were texting me like, Whataburger's almost open, you ready to roll? I'm like, I'll go with you. Like, I'm not joking. <laughs> I got a couple buddies like, it's about to open when we hit Whataburger. I, oh no, I got to take one for the team on this one, we got, right? But listen, craving pure spiritual milk so that I can grow up in my salvation. What that's saying is this, all of those other things are a sign of immaturity within the body of Christ. Malice, envy, deceit, slander, all of those things are immaturity based. But when I grow up, when I crave the pure spiritual milk and I taste to see that the Lord is good, then I no longer run after or into those very things that are going to destroy not just my life, but the body of Christ within. Why? Because hope is what comes through Jesus Christ and is then built up or encouraged by the body of Christ because we're obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. So we offer hope to everybody else who outside is going, where is there any hope within the world? We live right now, I mean, we live in a hopeless world. And what I mean by that is this, I have ran into more people over the last couple years who would tell me, I have no hope. I have no point of view or reference for positive, encouraging hope in this life. And here's what's crazy about that. The church needs to be the very thing that stands out and proclaims the hope of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We must live out our new life in Christ, not with malice and envy and everything else, but solely based upon the spiritual word of God. And this idea of craving, think about this way. Our food products are full of a bunch of crap. I mean, go to the store, the grocery store, and read the labels on what you buy. And I'm just as bad. My mom would be like, you're buying that stuff? I'm like, yeah, why? She's like, did you read the label? I'm going to die anyway, mom. Right? Anybody else been there? (laughs) But you're sitting here going, huh. Because listen to what he's saying. Crave the pure spiritual milk. Pure, unadulterated no flaws, 100% God. Here's what happens. Pure spiritual milk from God's word breathes life into me. It gives me life in every circumstance and situation. It gives me hope even in the darkest of times. 
But if I drink impure, in other words, I begin to add things to God's word. I begin to say, well, I don't need that part. I'm gonna take out this part. Then I begin to do the impure things. And I begin to take in all those impure things. And those impure things eventually are gonna make me fat in some way, shape, or form. I'm gonna get out of shape because I've tried to do the things that aren't pure, but they're impure. And I begin to let those things register and, 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 and be a part of my life when it shouldn't be that way. So I can grow in my salvation. And scripture, listen, scripture is the heavy lifting, the training, and the weights that you and I need in order to grow in the salvation. And here's the last thing I wanna unpack. And we're gonna unpack verses four through 10 very quickly. We are the new temple, we are a new people, and we are a new, listen to this, nation. Now, I want to unpack this real quick. A new temple. Listen to what he says in verse four. As you come to him, the living stone, this is Jesus, who is the living stone, who's been rejected by men, but chosen by God. And listen, and precious to him, you also like living stones. So here's what happens. Jesus is the living stone, the cornerstone, the capstone, the very foundation upon which we build everything in our life. And he's been rejected by some. But as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ, as a result of your obedience to Jesus, you are now, and I am now, living stones and our our living stones are being put together to be built into a new temple. Oh, wait a second. What's that going to look like? Well, I don't know. What I can tell you is this. When it talks about what he's saying, we are living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the temple. In the Old Testament, there was the temple. And there was a lot of argument about where God dwelt. Did God dwell here? Did God dwell there? When they were walking through the wilderness, he, he was a pillar by, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Then he dwelt in the holy of holies. And then he was dwelling in the temple. But listen to me, as a result of the new covenant, he no longer dwells in palaces or places built by man, but he dwells in man. Do you get that picture? that you and I are the temple, that we are a temple and we are being built into a temple, we are being built into a priesthood and we are being built into a nation chosen by God. Now here's where the rubber meets road and here's where it gets oftentimes difficult. But if we're being built into a spiritual, a spiritual house where God dwells, then there should be no what? Sin. No open sin. No things going in my life that I begin to overwhelm and let run rampant in my life. But when I allow sin to dwell in my life, then there's impurity within the temple. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So we are the new temple. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and I've heard this over and over and over again in various ways, but listen to what he says. Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Everything I do, how I live, is a result of me being a temple to honor God. So he said, we're the new temple, but we're also a new people. 
And listen, that temple is built upon the living stone of Jesus Christ, and we're being built into the spiritual house it is. Number two, as I said under this, we're a new temple, we're a new people. Listen to what he says as he unpacks it. He says, you are a chosen people, verse nine. That's exactly what the Israelites were, chosen. Now, there's a lot of people who believe that Israel is going to have or going to be a chosen nation at some point again in the future. But let me be very clear on this part. The Bible is also very clear that not all of those who are united with Israel are Israel. Romans talks about this and unpacks this. That we, as a body of believers, we, the new priesthood, we, the people who are called by God, we, the people who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we, the people who have acknowledged our sins and believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, we are part of the new nation that he's talking about. We are part of the new people that he is unpacking. And Jesus is the living stone. So listen to what he says in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, new temple, where sacrifices take place, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he says this, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is. And let me wrap up with this. Those who believe, the stone is precious. And to those who don't, The stone is a stumbling block. That's Jesus Christ. And so we are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, not based upon ethnic identity or geographic location, but on the allegiance to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so here's the hope that he offers. Listen to what he says as I wrap up with this. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness in to his wonderful light. Why? Because once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Where do we get hope? We get our hope from Jesus Christ, who has called us not into immature ways and patterns of life, but into maturity, to grow in our salvation now that we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that he wants to build us into a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart to do great things for God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. We thank you for the truth of your word that we can begin to unpack, we can begin to understand, we can begin to relate to, we can begin to be changed by your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask today, right now, that maybe there are some who are dealing with some heartache, some heaviness, some difficulty. Maybe there are some who would say, you know what, I've been misled, I've been led into immaturity, I haven't longed for the living and enduring word of God, I haven't craved it. God, would you convict us of those things where maybe we have filled our lives with things of the world instead of things that you want us to fill us with. So Lord, we pray today that you would have your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray.